Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, coming to you from Gadigal Land. This is ABC News Daily. For renters, it feels like one of the hardest times in history with rising costs and limited availability. So can anything be done to ease the pressure? Today, housing economist Cameron Murray on whether we're overlooking a simple fix. Cameron, there was a video doing the rounds recently of this huge queue of people lining up along a footpath all waiting to get inside a tiny apartment in Sydney that was up for rent. So many people for one place. Countless renters spending their summer at inspections. I feel like there was maybe a hundred people at one of the ones we were at. Um, There just doesn't seem to be, I don't know. That's pretty common around Australia at the moment, isn't it? It's common in the capital cities at the Mm. moment. It's not exactly common everywhere because what we're seeing mostly is a reversal of the COVID years trend of people moving away from the the major cities to the regions and now a lot of them are moving back. So where two years ago we saw those queues at open homes and uh, at rental homes in lifestyle towns and regional areas, uh, now we're seeing them back in the cities. So there's a a big shift there. So just take me back to pre-COVID times. What did it look like then to rent? So, in fact, uh, it's quite interesting because in the few years prior to 2020, there were headlines in the media like this. Let me quote one from 2018. Mm. Housing investors enter doom loop of falling prices and rents. Mm. Experts are calling the end of the property price boom. Sydney has recorded the first annual fall in six years, with Melbourne posting the worst numbers since 2012. And the biggest. So, what we actually had between 2017 and 2020 was a pretty significant decline in rents and prices in the major cities, uh, especially Sydney and Melbourne, that had boomed in the in the 2010s. So uh, pre-COVID, I think we were a little bit lulled into a false sense of security in terms of having a very soft property market, both for renters and for sellers. Okay, Cameron, let's look at that shift that's happened post-COVID then, since the lockdowns have finished. There's been a, a rapid change in what we're seeing. Yeah, so it's quite interesting. If we look at regional areas and lifestyle towns, I live in Brisbane, so I can look at the Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast up here. Rents had a sharp rise in 2021, but overall, if you take Australia as a whole, the rental levels are not abnormal compared to incomes. And that's, in fact, why they're rising, because they're actually historically a little bit too low. And of course, rents can't rise unless we have the incomes in our households to pay them. And so what we're seeing... I guess in economic speak, would say it's a return to the equilibrium. We're going back to that point where people spend that roughly fixed 20% of gross income on housing, which has been the trend since the surveys we have on housing rent to income ratios started in the mid-90s. It's been within 1% of 20% of gross income spent on rent that Mm. whole period. Let's though put aside how much people are paying on rent, and I think we all agree it's always too much, or they don't Mm -hmm. want to pay that much, and that's fair enough. 
But what about the fact that people are finding it so difficult to actually get into a rental property? Because the ABC has spoken to lots of young people about this. One young woman who's been looking for three months and she just keeps being outbid by people who say, oh, we'll just pay more. And it's not about like who you are or like... I mean, if you're the first one applying or if you have a stable job, I mean, in the end, I think people are just giving up front or paying more rent or, yeah. So it's kind of, you know, nerve-wracking. and it's So when you hear stories like that, it does sound like there's a crisis going on in the rental market. Well, I, I mean, those sort of headlines have existed for a long time. I remember in the early 2000s, headlines of people queuing overnight uh, of rental inspections. So it's not abnormal to people for people to pay the maximum they can for rents. And so I think it's important to keep in mind that these queues that we see at at rental open homes, this is a mechanism by by which rents readjust to this new equilibrium point. And so I would argue that uh, we're just seeing a readjustment back to this point. Now, if we look abroad, we can look at the US, for example, and they're about six months in front of us. And they had exactly the same headlines, exactly the same interviews with renters all through the second half of 2022. But what they've seen now is a peak in rents in a lot of cities. And now they're dropping back off because that adjustment has happened. Mm, Okay, so you wouldn't sort of classify what's going on in the Australian market at the moment as a crisis, which of course we use that word and we see it in the headlines. Well, we use that word continuously. I'd say if it's a crisis now, then it's been a crisis since 1980. I like to say we're we're returning to the normal market outcome after uh, a short period of declining rents pre-COVID and a big geographic adjustment of households during COVID, and we're reversing both of those trends at the same time. And that's why the capital cities are seeing these these, um, big rental price adjustments and those queues at open homes. Mm, Cameron, it's often said that we're in a bind at the moment when it comes to rental because there aren't enough houses to go around, that we need to build more houses to solve the problems that we have. Is that right, do you think? Do we need better housing supply in this country? Yeah, look, I have a very subtle view on that. So let me just try and explain. Mm -hmm. We have more bigger, better dwellings per capita in Australia than any point in history. So what we have is an issue in terms of the supply as in the participation in the market of people advertising dwellings for rent. I find the supply story is more one where property owners, owners of developable land, uh, are really in the business of lobbying for themselves to to change their zoning and, and get more value. For example, uh, in the early 2000s, I worked for a property developer on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, and we had, you know, a great new apartment project, and we'd we'd launched it on a on a weekend with the the display suite on the site prior to construction, and there was a queue down the street, but. The decision was made later in the morning to shut the display suite, stop taking deposits, reassess the prices, put the prices up, and then relaunch it a month later. And it took us, we could have sold the whole project on that one day, on that Saturday morning, and started construction, you know, a few months later. Uh, Instead, it took us five years ultimately to sell out that whole project. But what we did was optimal in terms of maximising the total 
profits from that site of slowing down the sales by putting the price up. You know, the free market does what it does and it's quite good at certain things, but it's not good at, at reducing housing rents. Yeah, so let's have a look at what is good then at reducing housing rents because obviously that model is optimal for property developers and people selling uh, apartments and houses and that sort of thing, but it's not great for renters. So what could we be doing instead? Well, uh, I think the best model is the way Singapore does it. A lot of people think of Singapore as a free market trading post in, in, the, in, in Asia, but that couldn't be further from the truth when it comes to housing because over 80% of dwellings were constructed by the public housing developer, the Housing Development Board, which has operated since the 1960s. And it actually gives every Singapore citizen the right to buy a new publicly developed apartment at construction cost price for every citizen. They get to buy one of them after they reach age 21. And so they've been able to boost home ownership to, from 20% to something like 88% today using that method. And the Housing Development Board still operates with relatively low subsidies today. And for most new young Singapore households who buy into the Housing Development Board when they buy their first dwelling, they have no out-of-pocket costs because they can also use their compulsory retirement savings for the deposit and the mortgage. Sounds a little expensive, though. Yeah, so it's not super expensive. It costs around fifty to eighty thousand dollars of subsidy per dwelling. And if we compare this, you know, if we think about national budgets, I've looked, uh, I've run a bit of a, a simulation, and the, the cost will be about two billion dollars a year at, at a peak, given reasonable assumptions. Think about WestConnex project. What is that? Twenty-five billion. <laughs> Right, so it's, it's one road pro project in Sydney. You can do a national housing scheme for every, every for every citizen who wants it for six percent of that. Mm, there's a fair few problems with that, though, isn't there? In terms of do we have enough land to do that for starters? And of course, people want to live where the jobs are, and that becomes problematic, doesn't it? Oh, look, I think the land shortage thing is a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of a distraction that the property mm. industry likes to promote because. They, they own all the land and they want it upzoned and they, they don't want to build a five-storey building if, it, if it's going to get upzoned and they could have built a 20-storey building in a few years' time. So they, they are really in the business of, of pushing that idea. But when it comes to roads, we can magically acquire land and build roads wherever we want. Mm -hmm. You know, you're pulling my leg if you can't find places to build some housing. You're absolutely pulling my leg. <laughs> right. So you don't believe them. All right. So let's spin back to the free market mm -hmm. because your idea or the Singapore model, it would also reduce house prices and there are a lot of people, aren't there, that don't want that to happen. Yeah, well, at the, you're right. At the end of the day, this is the problem. Now, the Singapore model, let me be clear, uh, when you buy a housing development board publicly developed house in Singapore. You cannot sell it to whoever you want. You can only resell it after a mandatory occupation period of five years to another Singapore citizen who qualifies to buy a housing development board dwelling. So in that way, the price effect is much reduced because in the private market, you can still sell to investors, you can still sell to anyone, you can sell to foreign buyers, it doesn't matter. But in the public market, you can only resell to qualifying Australian citizens who don't already own property. Now, to your general point that people don't want prices to go down, you're, you're absolutely right. And this is the heart 
of the housing question. We can do our best to leave the private market how it is without affecting prices too much. And we can do something in parallel by separating off, you know, potential buyers. Mm, so do you think it will ever exist, the Singapore model here? Uh, people love the public school system and we love the public health system. This is a little bit how we got public health. If you read the history of the economic debates in the, you know, all the way from the 60s and 70s in Australia, we had exactly the same things. Oh, it'll be expensive. The government can't do it. The market's working fine. Uh, we had all the same debates, but for some reason, the political timing was right and we did it. And now everyone loves it. Just like in Singapore, everyone loves it. Dr Cameron Murray is an economist specialising in property and urban development at the University of Sydney. The latest data shows capital city rents rose 15% last year and 11% in the regions. This episode was produced by Flint Duxfield, Sydney Peed, Chris Dengate and Sam Dunn, who also did the mix. Our supervising producer is Stephen Smiley. I'm Sam Hawley. To get in touch with the team, email us on ABC News Daily at abc.net.au. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.